everyone, welcome to another episode of the No Man's Land. I'm Angela Ramirez, and today we are doing something a little bit different than we usually do. Typically, this whole channel is about my investigative journalism and all the crap that I dig up and discover in my investigative work. Um, I, am, I am an independent journalist. That said, what I have noticed is that I get a lot of gaps in my content because there's so much going on during a 24-hour news cycle that I really just can't write an article about everything that is going on on a day-to-day -day basis. It's just not practical. Um, I really value doing investigative work that other people aren't doing. And in order for me to continue to do investigative work and cover day-to-day -day news, I need to do a show that covers just the latest stuff that comes out in the news. So that said, this whole show is going to be like a new segment about, I don't know, like what's happening in real life, not just what's going on in, in my investigative work. So that said, um, today's show is basically about the debate last night. For those of you guys who did watch the debate, my hair looks crazy. Sorry. But for those of you guys who did watch the debate, it was a fucking shit show. It was horrible. Um, it was the, definitely the worst debate that I've ever seen in my life. Um, now, before I get into this show, since it's a new segment, and it's not my investigative work, which is a little bit less, little bit more um, held to a journalistic standard. I do not incorporate any sort of opinion into my investigative work. I really just go through, look at the facts, and present the facts. That's all my investigative work is. If you guys go to the nomanzone.com, that's all you're going to see on that website is here is a story, and here is how it got to that point. So I look at things like 1099s, I look at tax records um, of nonprofit organizations that are not operating genuinely. I do go into the Epstein scandal a lot. I like to cover things that other people don't want to cover for whatever reason. So that's what's going on on my website. But here, it's a new segment, and I feel like I am going to naturally have to give some sort of opinion in order to explain what's going on um, I think that everybody has an implicit bias politically and culturally. That said, I think it's important since it's the first show that I'm doing about basically what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis that I explain what my biases are. So let's start politically. Politically, I am independent. I'm registered independent. My whole life, I have voted Democrat. Up until this year, I will be voting Republican. Um, so when I first started voting, the first vote that I cast was for Barack Obama. And uh, I'm 28 years old, right? So I voted for Obama. And in the 2016 election, when it was Hillary versus Trump, I voted independent because I wasn't a fan of Hillary. I really did. I, there was something about her I just didn't trust. And I am not the kind of person to vote for somebody based on their gender. I feel like that is a really bad way to go about casting a vote. Um, so that said, I did vote independent in 2016. And... In 2020, I am going to be voting for Trump. So over the years, I have found that I'm less and less connected to the Democrat Party. I really feel like they play too much identity politics. I feel that um, although I care very much about being a steward of our climate, being a steward of our air and soil and water, I do not agree with the Democrats, the Democrat Party's way of going about it. Um, I do believe that we need to preserve jobs in the energy sector. 
But that said, I do believe that we also need to make a transition over to clean energy. Um, we need to find ways that do not, ways to provide energy that do not, uh, I guess, belittle the quality of our air and soil. Fracking, we all know fracking doesn't do a great job of protecting the water and the soil around it. Um, and that said, I also, you know, I, I take climate care very seriously. And so I think that was maybe one of the things that I felt most connected to about the Democrat party was that they were kind of stewards of the environment. Uh, and I feel like today that they have not really held that standard. I feel like they are more ideologically based than the Republican party. Anyway, so that said, um, now I'm a centrist, I am independent and I tend to lean a little bit more right than most people these days. And I'm not sure if that's because the Democrat party has slid so far to the left or if it's because I'm getting older and I got married and now, you know, I'm a little bit more conservative than I once was. That said, I do believe in legalization of things like marijuana. I don't think that should be a felony anywhere. I think that people should not be imprisoned for nonviolent drug offenses. I think that instead of imprisoning people for repeated nonviolent drug offenses, that we should be offering them instead of going to jail, be placing them in a rehabilitation setting in which they can figure out what it is that is causing them to pursue drugs. Um, uh, coming from a family where a number of the people in my family have drug addictions, um, have been in and out of the prison system, I, I feel very strongly about decriminalization of nonviolent drug offenses and that the, the, the people who are constantly in and out of the system need an alternative. So I am a prison reformist. I am a police reformist. I believe in police reform. I believe in prison reform. Um, that said, I'm not an abolitionist of prisons and police. So here I find myself in a very strange position um, in 2020. And I feel that I now, at least today, I feel more um, in tune with what Republicans are saying as opposed to the Democrat party. So that's my bias politically. Now let's talk about my bias personally. Where, where do I come from and what kind of background do I have? So I come from a very interesting family. I used to think it was really weird trying to explain to people what my family looked like until now. Now I'm pretty proud of the family that I come from as all over the place as it is. Um, I am a mix of Hispanic and white. My mom is a Honduran immigrant. She came to the United States when she was in her early 20s. She grew up in Honduras. I've been to the town that she grew up in. She grew up in La Ceiba, Honduras. She grew up in a very small home with a dirt floor. Um, her parent, her dad worked in a banana plantation and she grew up with like 14 siblings, um, all living in this small house. She lost her mom when she was very young and was raised by her dad and her siblings up until she came to the United States. Um, my mom is a legal immigrant. She now has her citizenship and she's a very proud American. My, on my dad's side, my dad is, um, American. He was born to a... U.S. Navy off, naval officer. He, my, my grandpa served in World War II, both in the military and then in the Navy, where he worked his way up to becoming a naval officer. Uh, my grandma was also, she also served during World War II. She worked in the Coast Guard at a desk job, and I won't specify exactly what she did there, but she did work for the Coast Guard during World War II. My grandma survived the Great Depression, 
in South Dakota, she actually kind of pulled a Grapes of Wrath move, and her family moved from South Dakota after the Dust Bowl to California. So my grandma grew up very, very um, financially conservative, and my dad is also very financially conservative. My mom, who is a, a legal immigrant and now a, a U.S. citizen, she is also very financially conservative because of the fact that she grew up in very literal poverty. Um, and so with that, I do have a very financially conservative background. Um, that said, I, my dad does did have a prior marriage before meeting my mom. He was married to a Hawaiian woman who was actually 100% Hawaiian, so real, real Hawaiian woman. I have three siblings from uh, my dad's first marriage. Obviously, they're half siblings, but that said, I still consider them my brothers and sisters. I, I love them the way I love my full brother. Um, and so that said, I, I do have siblings who are half Hawaiian, and I grew up listening to the plight of Native Hawaiians and how sacred lands were being lost and how sacred lands were being built on by corporations and the loss of the Hawaiian language and how, um, you know, today that culture is slowly being lost due to, I, I mean, I hate to use the word imperialism, but I, I suppose it is imperialism. For those of you guys who don't know what happened in Hawaii, what happened was the U.S. basically said, you know, give us the islands or we're going to take you to war kind of thing. And um, I feel like that's very unfortunate. I think that there's definitely better ways to go about relations with Hawaii uh, rather than forcing them to become state. So that said, um, I have an interesting perspective there. And on top of that, after my, my dad and my mom divorced, my dad is a pretty interesting guy. He after him and my mom divorced, he remarried, so the third marriage, um, and he married a Muslim woman and actually converted to Islam, and he now lives overseas in Indonesia, where he kind of just does his own thing, but my dad is also a business owner, and so I grew up with this very interesting mix of understanding Native First Nations people and understanding what happened to them and what happened to the culture and the language, the loss of language and culture as a result of large American corporations capitalizing on that land. Um, I grew up with an understanding of what it is to be an American immigrant. I grew up with an understanding of what it is to be an American patriot and to fight for your country and to fight for um, your US military. And I also grew up with the understanding of the Islamic faith and and how to respect people of other religions. I'm personally Christian, but I understand what it is, what Islam is. I understand that there are like every single religion, that there are people who practice their faith and are absolutely fantastic people. And then there are religious extremists. And I think I'm so, I'm so thankful for having that kind of background because what it did is it set the stage for me to be able to look at things very objectively and to come at things from a more educated perspective than um, basically, well, you know, I heard this, uh, I heard this type of news my whole life. And as a result, I feel a certain way. Like I've actually met people who are First Nations people who are 100% Hawaiian. I grew up with a guy who is a descendant of um, a Native American tribe. And he is one of the most fantastic people I've ever met. Um, his name is, his name is David. And, um, you know, I just, I grew up with the whole gamut of interesting 
backgrounds right in right in my own home and so i was very blessed to have that so i come from a very unique mix of ideas and backgrounds so there's like kind of my personal background and uh from obviously i already touched on the conservative fiscally conservative thing i've been both an employee and i've run my own business and i personally think that running my own business is like the way to do it um and i'm not going to go into that right now but i definitely think that we have over leveraged the idea of being an employee in this country. That said, um, I am an independent and I tend to lean a little bit more conservative. So let's get into the news now that I've gone through all my biases. Um, first things first, we're going to talk about the debates because that's what happened last night and that's what prompted me to decide that I'm going to do this whole little YouTube show um, of day to day breaking news, right? So, what happened in the debates? Well, it was a shit show. I think that you guys have probably already heard that it was a total nightmare. It started off bad. It ended off bad. Honestly, I'm glad I watched it, but at the same time, man, what a, what a terrible debate. Um, to give you guys an overview of what happened, the debate started, obviously it was President Trump, it was Joe Biden, and it was the moderator, Chris Wallace. Um, President Trump came out right off the gate, interrupting Joe Biden. It was very much a battle of the wills to get a word in, and the moderator was not able to control the situation in any way, shape, or form. I mean, the moderator did a horrible job. He did not. He started out unable, completely unable to control the situation. So Trump, being a very outspoken individual, took advantage of that, and perpetually perpetually interrupted Joe Biden when he was speaking. Uh, he interrupted the moderator. It wasn't a good look. Um, Joe Biden started out, he did okay, but towards the middle of the, of the debate, you could tell he was kind of stumbling over words. I'm not convinced that 100% of what he said was his own thoughts. I did hear that uh, his crew decided to turn down the request for no earpieces. And I find that concerning. I know that people use earpieces all the time to, to do speeches, um, you know, to do public appearances. But that said, I think that during a debate, it is very important to be sure that the person that you're listening to is using their own words and not the reiterated speech of somebody who's in the back room telling them what to say to answer the question. So, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not Joe Biden is sick or has some sort of dementia. I don't know that that can be proven from the debate last night, right? But I do know and did notice that he was stumbling over words, that it wasn't clear that he was well thought out. It just seemed as though it was almost scripted, the things that he said, but that he was also a little stumped. He was stumbling over words a little. What can you do? You can't prove it. You can't prove that he has dementia from last night's debate. So that's, that's that. Um, now there was a few, there were a few instances finally towards the end of the debate when everybody kind of calmed down where we actually got into facts and policies and opposing, opposing beliefs. Uh, they discussed COVID, they discussed climate change in which I thought it was really interesting that Chris Wallace actually asked Donald Trump if he believes in cli climate change science. Um, 
It almost seemed like a setup question because he didn't ask, I don't believe, he didn't ask Joe Biden that same question. Instead, he asked Joe Biden what his thoughts were on addressing climate change. Um, personally, I know that there's a lot of climate, climate change science out there. I know that we do have proof that carbon emissions cause damage to the environment. That said, um, we also have a lot of proof that that is coming from poorly managed landfills, um, even more so than actual car emissions, right? So I thought it was kind of a strange question for Chris Wallace to ask if Trump was a climate change denier, essentially is what he was asking. It seemed kind of disingenuous, to be honest. That said, um, you know, the question was asked and Trump did say that he believes that climate change uh, via carbon emissions is is somewhat of an issue, but he also emphasized the fact that he wanted to preserve the quality of air, of water, and of soil, which I think is a very noble goal. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, Trump also said that he didn't want to do it, didn't want to keep those areas pristine at the expense of people's jobs, right? So we don't want to say we want um, completely clean energy and then half the workforce in the energy field loses their job. That would cause something of a recession. Excuse me. Okay, so that was kind of like the climate issue, right? The one topic that I really want to get to, because it has already been dragged out by the media, everybody is going ballistic about it on Twitter. I've seen um, people who follow left-wing news sources already, already sharing on their Instagram debunked claims that have I, debunked claims over and over again. Um, and that is the issue of Trump refusing to renounce white supremacy. Trump has already come out and say and said that he is completely against white supremacy. Just last week, he designated the KKK a terror organization along with Antifa, which is, it seems that's pretty against white supremacy if you finally designate the KKK a terror organization. For the life of me, I still can't understand, as somebody who voted for Barack Obama, why that guy did not know to put the KKK on a terror list, right? You would think that Barack Obama, he ran on the platform of being a black American, that he understood black America. Why did Barack Obama not designate the KKK a terror organization? I think everybody is completely on board with that. Nobody wants the KKK around. Um, I personally don't want them around. I don't want them in my state. I think that the KKK is a vile organization. And in my opinion, most Americans feel the same way. Um, that said, Trump just last week designated the KKK a terror organization, and yet for some reason, um, everybody was running around screaming that Trump is a white supremacist. I don't know that white supremacists de designate other white supremacist organizations terror organizations, right? Now we could say, we could argue that it was like political in nature and that the KKK isn't the biggest white supremacist organization in the US anymore, which is why he designated them. Uh, it was kind of just a political cover. That would be the argument for the left, I suppose. Um, that said, I'm not sure that that's actually true. I do believe that the KKK is, I'm sure that there are KKK members who walk around and hate people of other races and that if they were given the opportunity to run amok in the way that these leftist organizations are allowed to, that they would that they would do so. Um, you know, here in Colorado Springs, we have a group called the Atomwaffen. 
And they are actually a Nazi organization. They want to bring about the Third Reich. They believe in everything that Hitler wrote. They're not just a white supremacist organization. It's very important to, to differentiate between a white supremacist organization and a Nazi organization. They are different things. They're different ideologies. And I'm not going to get into exactly what that is in this podcast. I will be doing something else on that in the future. Um, but that said... We do have a group here in Colorado Springs called the Adam Waffen, who has been tied to a few different murders, I believe five. They recently rebranded themselves. They were called something else prior to switching their name to Adam Waffen. Um, that would be a very far right, white supremacist and Nazi organization. Um, now, I'm not denying that there is a threat of white supremacy in the United States. And I think that white supremacists are vile. And I think that they have no place in this country. I also think that it's important to acknowledge that Trump has in the past come out in a full speech saying that he condemns white supremacy. I'm actually going to play it for you guys right now because I feel like it's important to play this. Um, so here we have a statement that President Trump had made, it was on breaking news, it was on CNBC, in which he does state that he condemns white supremacy. Why don't we listen to this for just a moment? Talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers, and you see them come with the, with the black outfits and with the helmets and with the baseball bats. You got a, you had a lot of bad you had a lot of bad people in the other group too. Unfairly, sir. I'm sorry. I just didn't understand what you were saying. You were saying the press has treated white nationalists unfairly. No, I just didn't understand what you were saying. No. There were people in that rally, and I looked the night before. If you look, there were people protesting very quietly. The taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. I'm sure in that group there were some bad ones. The following day it looked like they had some rough, bad people. Neo-Nazis, uh, white nationalists, whatever you want to call them. But you had a lot of people in that group that were there to innocently protest and very legally protest because, you know, I don't know if you know, they had a permit. The other group didn't have a permit. So I only tell you this, there are two sides to a story. I thought what took place was a horrible moment for our country, a horrible moment. But there are two sides to the country. Does anybody have a final? Does anybody have, you have an interest? All right. So there is that statement. That was from years ago. Um, you know, it, it was from years ago that he publicly renounced white supremacists and white nationalists, right? So it's on record. It is on record that he said, we, we don't want white supremacists. We don't want white nationalists. We want people who love our country, love everybody who is in our country. We want people who love the people of America and America as a whole. We don't want somebody coming in saying, we want to differentiate people based on race. We want to differentiate people based on the idea of nationalism as a great thing to the extent of basically shutting out people of other countries. That's not what we want, right? Like that, is, that was a very clear statement. And the only reason that it was taken out of context by the press is because he then said and pointed out in reference to the left that there's also people 
in the left who are also equally just as bad as white supremacists. Now, I get that this is a huge, outrageous thing to say, that there could be somebody as evil or as wrong as white supremacists and white nationalists. That is a very narrow way to look at history, to say that only white supremacists and white nationalists are bad. There have been many, many far left regimes that have done horrible things to people that everybody in America, for some reason, just likes to ignore. Everybody in America, including professors, including teachers, like to pretend that it is only the far right that poses a threat. And that is a horrible way to look at history. Anybody who has read the Gulag Archipelago or studied communism in the East, studied Mao's regime, studied the Cambodian killing fields, studied any form of Venezuelan communism, Cuban communism, people know that there is a far left that is also equally dangerous, right? Now, that said, for some reason, I don't know if it's because of the fact that the United States struggled with slavery when it was first founded or because of the Native American genocide during the colonization of America, if that is what drives people to be so hot-headed about saying that the far left is equally as wrong as the far right, but it is disingenuous to say anything otherwise. It was wrong to run First Nations people out of the places that they lived. It was wrong to eliminate First Nations languages and cultures and it is equally wrong, right? So that would be an example of white nationalism, right? Perhaps it would be, a, maybe not white nationalism, but it would be an example of white colonialism. Um, white colonialism, because as if that, anyway, we're not gonna get into that, but it's, it's equally wrong for people to harbor negative sentiments against people of other races in other countries based on simply skin and um, nationality, just as it is, wrong for people to um, condemn and kill and imprison individuals based on anti-communist values in, in the same sense that we, in what we saw in the Bolshevik Revolution and what we saw under Mao's China and what we saw in the Cambodian killing fields. They're both wrong. They're both wrong. And it's disingenuous to point out that one side is one side of the extreme is wrong while completely ignoring the other side of the extreme. Now, the West's inability to acknowledge and condemn leftist extremists has led to this point in history where we now have left extremist groups running amok throughout no numerous cities of the United States and wreaking havoc on both the city and its residents. And nobody wants to acknowledge it nobody wants to say hey you know what we probably we should probably condemn the far left too because it's very easy to condemn the far right i have no problem saying that white supremacists and white nationalists um and people who think that eugenics is okay those, those are all very bad people probably don't want them around not probably we don't want them around it's wrong right I also have equally no problem saying that people who promote violent communism, people who promote violent anarchism also are not great, not great to have around. We don't want them around. And the fact that the media has an issue in labeling the far left as extremists has gotten us to this point now. It has gotten us to the point now where President Trump says white nationalists are bad, also far left is bad. For some reason, as soon as you mention the far left, it's like, well, why don't you condemn the far right? How come you don't condemn the far right? He did condemn the far right, period. There's, there's no need to go back and forth when 
both extremes are wrong. Both extremes are wrong. So that leads us to the debate last night. And that's where I really wanted to go with this whole video is the debate, because I feel like it's very important to discuss uh, what really happened because I've already seen, like I said, numerous news organizations and numerous individuals perpetuating this idea that Donald Trump is a white supremacist and that Donald Trump refuses to condemn white supremacy. It's just not true. It's disingenuous. And I've, the perpetuation of false rumors on social media is a huge issue these days. And everybody gets so heated when they see something that they don't like on social media. They're like, oh, well, I'm going to prove that person wrong. And they send off a really rude message or they retweet something really rude or they take a picture and they post it on their Instagram and say, look, Trump is racist to the white supremacist. And all of this is a result of President Trump. All right. So let's get into it. What really happened in the debate last night? Uh, Chris Wallace, he wanted to discuss the white supremacist and militia groups. I'm not really sure that we should be mixing those two because they are different things, but um, he wanted to discuss the white supremacists and militia groups. Um, so let's talk about the militia groups for just a second. Who are these militia groups? We have no evidence that these militia groups are white supremacists in nature. We actually have multiple footage from independent journalists like Elijah Schaefer and Brendan Gutenschwager who were in Kenosha that night when the militias were out on the town. And they actually got footage of these militias speaking to the reason that they were there. Um, one of these individuals actually said that, basically, that they supported the people protesting. They supported their right to protest. They supported their right to be in Kenosha that night, but they just didn't want the city to burn. They just didn't want any more destruction. And so these militia groups were on the town. Not once was any footage released of an individual saying that they were opposed to Black Lives Matter. Not once was any um, militia individual caught on camera saying that they did not want Black Americans in their town. That was never caught on camera. Um, if anybody has evidence of the militia individuals saying that, please do send it to me. I'd love to review it. But at this time, there is absolutely no footage of the individuals in Kenosha uh, appearing to be white nationalists or appearing to be white supremacists. Instead, it appears that they were actually, I believe, not even a militia. There was numerous people who said we're not a militia. We're just concerned citizens. We're just here to protect the city. I, I almost think that's a word for word quote from one of the individuals that Elijah Schaefer interviewed, um, the, the guy said, you know, we're not a militia. We're just guys out on the town. Um, you know, we're, we're just guys out on the town. We just want to protect the town. We don't, we don't want to be called a militia. I think he even said, call me like, I, he, he referenced what he was wearing, but he said that they were not a militia, which is very different. Um, concerned citizens is very different from being a militia. That said, it would appear that these two groups do not belong in, in the same category, white supremacists and, and just general autonomous militia groups. And furthermore, we have absolutely no evidence that the individuals who were in Kenosha were actually a citizen's militia, right? At least not self-identifying to be a citizen's militia. So that said, Chris Wallace went ahead with the question and he asked, quote, are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups? Trump responded, sure. Wallace cuts him off. Wallace says, and to say that they need to stand down and not add violence in a number of cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we see in Portland. Trump says, sure, I'm prepared to do it. 
I would almost say every, he said, sorry, Trump said, sure, I am prepared to do it, but I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. I'm willing to do anything. I want to see peace. Wallace says, then do it, sir. Biden says, do it, say it. Trump says, what do you want me to call them? Give me a name. Wallace says, white supremacists and right wing militias. Biden says, proud boys. Trump says, proud boys, stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. All right. So that's a segment uh, of the transcript from the debate last night. It was shared by Ben Shapiro, who is a right wing commentator. Um, Ben Ben is a lawyer. He he has a legal de- a law degree, I think, from Harvard University. He's a very smart guy, um, much smarter than I am. And I I want to go through this segment here before I actually play the clip because I want to explain to you guys and unpack what just happened in this little segment. There's a lot to unpack. I know it's a very short segment, but there's actually a lot of stuff to discuss right here. Okay, so let's start. Obviously, we touched on the fact that white supremacists and militia groups. We have actually no evidence that white supremacists or militia groups are showing up in these areas. What we do have evidence of is definitely the Proud Boys. There's no evidence that the Proud Boys is a white supremacist organization. That is um, a, a lie perpetuated by a lot of left-wing individuals. I've actually seen publicly elected officials here in Colorado perpetuate that lie, including the Denver School Board Director, including a city council member of Evergreen City, which is just west of Denver, um, and including a Colorado representative, Patrick Neville, I think his name, I think that's how you say his name. But these individuals have actually posted on Twitter saying that the Proud Boys is a white supremacist uh, organization. Now, let's be clear here, the Proud Boys is on the FBI watch list. There is not a whole lot of evidence suggesting that they are primarily a white supremacist organization. They do appear to be a nationalist organization. They do have on their website that the West is best. That's one of like the founding um, calls for being a Proud Boy is that you have to believe that the West is best, right? That's a nationalist phrase. So they are a nationalist organization and they are on the FBI watch list, right? That said, we don't have any proof that this is something equivalent to the KKK. Uh, we don't have any proof that these guys are out hunting down minority individuals that are not white. Um, that's kind of a, a great area. And that is something that I'd really like to work on and bring you guys more information on. And I have turned my attention to exposing really what the Proud Boys are so that we can figure out whether or not this is a dangerous white supremacist organization or if it is uh, something different, right? So... Let's see here. So Wallace asks, are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups? Trump says, sure. Wallace cuts him off. And then he says, and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Okay, so this is really where I want to unpack what Wallace is saying. First of all, I find it strange that instead of saying first, do you condemn the people who are actually starting the cycle of violence? Like, I'm not really sure why Wallace would skip over the most important part of the fact that there are organizations coming into cities and perpetuating violence and asking the president to first denounce them before denouncing the response to that. Um, it doesn't seem nonpartisan to jump specifically to the individuals who are responding to a failure of law and order and to a failure of law enforcement to do their job. Um, and 
quite frankly, a failure of elected officials to get control of these areas. So in Kenosha, because let's start with Kenosha, because that's where Wallace started. Um, he says he wants Trump to denounce these organizations or groups or individuals who show up in Kenosha and add to violence in the city. Let me tell you something. There is a lot of violence going on for that militia, that militia or citizens protecting group, whatever they were, just concerned citizens. Before those guys showed up in Kenosha, there was a shit ton of violence. There was a lot of stuff on fire. There were buildings on fire. There was a car lot on fire. There were a number of places looted. People lost the businesses that they had been working for, um, that they had been working to build for 40 years. Can you imagine that overnight 40 years because somebody doesn't like something that officer in your city did, your business is gone. Imagine that for a second. I know most people who are leftists and can't even imagine that be like, they can't imagine what that feels like losing something because they've never actually built something. Um, instead, most leftists that I've talked to who are totally okay with this type of destruction and retaliation are usually either living at home with their parents or they have recently graduated college and are living with roommates and are like working their job for the working the first job they've ever had for like ever they've never had a job before really and they just graduated college and now now they're working and for some reason they think it's okay to just go in and destroy people's stuff because you had an issue with the way a city handled something so um let's not pretend chris wallace that what was happening in kenosha was okay prior to these armed individuals showing up on the street there was already a lot of violence going on just because it wasn't violence enacted on individuals, individuals directly, doesn't mean that there was no violence. And it is very strange for a nonpartisan debate moderator to jump directly to, um, will you denounce the response to the initial violence, but not asking for him to, re to respond to the actual people who started it in the first place. Now, Trump said, sure. And Chris Wallace cut him off, right? All right. Interesting. Now let's go to Portland because that was the next place he, he jumped to. Portland has really not seen any right wing response. Sure. There was one day where uh, the proud boys received a permit to hold a protest and it was like called a take back Portland event. And the proud boys, they put in a permit. There was no destruction. Yes. There were a couple of people who got, um, I think they were like attacked. I don't know if they were attacked, but they were definitely ran down and beat. Sure, it was an attack. Let's call it an attack. They were attacked. One of them, I think, was a journalist. Um, obviously, not okay to attack press. Now, let's compare that one day of the Proud Boys being in Portland, in which no city, no, the city wasn't burned down. Um, the police precinct were it was left alone. There were a few people who did get beat up. Uh, let's compare that to what has happened in Portland the past 100 days. Uh, the past hundred days in Portland have been rioting, real rioting. We have seen the police precincts being attacked. We have seen Mayor Ted Wheeler's apartment condo complex uh, have fireworks thrown inside, have seen people throw um, fireworks up at the building. We have seen uh, police officers being assaulted with a bat. That, that just happened last week. A police officer was assaulted by a masked individual 
with the helmet on. Um, he took a metal bat to a police officer's head. We have seen, um, you know, police precincts abandoned in Portland. And we have seen pretty much outright chaos in the city of Portland for 100 days. Okay. The Proud Boys go there for one day and beat up a couple people. And for some reason, that makes them a dangerous group. Okay. Chris Wallace is approaching that, this question all wrong. All wrong. Um, saying, like, I feel like asking, just asking the question, will you condemn these groups is partisan. Because I am concerned that he did not go about it by asking, what is your opinion on the civil unrest and what should be done about it? That appears to be more of a nonpartisan question. Saying and asking for condemn condemnation of militia groups who we don't really know are actually militias. And we have actually not seen a single militia group show up in Portland. We have not seen it once. We have seen armed citizens show up in Kenosha. And that is when the Kyle Rittenhouse event happened, right? The, the shooting. Um, and we all have seen the video. Most of us have seen the video of what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. And it is pretty clear that Kyle was being chased by um, multiple people, one of whom fired a firearm behind Kyle Rittenhouse and another person who appeared, we don't know this for sure, but he appeared to die for Kyle's weapon before being shot. We do know that I think his name is Justin Gaethje. I I might be I might get his name wrong, but the individual with the skate with the skateboard and the individual who held a firearm and charged Kyle Rittenhouse, we do know that those people were actively attacking Kyle. And it is absolutely a shame that people have died during that during that event. I think it is a it's a shame whenever anybody has their life taken. Um, it is. I I think that peace is much better than violence. And that said, I don't think that it is fair to refer to Kyle, fair or accurate, to refer to Kyle Rittenhouse as a violent militia individual. Kyle Rittenhouse definitely did not exasperate or incite that violence, although he did act when people attempted to attack him. So that said, let's move on. Chris Wallace appears to ask a very partisan question in the sense of asking Trump to condemn white supremacist groups, which he had in the past already, and militia groups, which we actually have no information that these groups are militias. Um, he doesn't actually mention anything about the NFAC, which is the Not Fucking Around Coalition, which recently marched through um, the streets with a number of individuals. Uh, actually, it wasn't just once they showed up at the Kentucky Derby. And there was also a, another group, which was a militia, a white militia, it seemed to be a white militia, who showed up in preparation to, um, I guess, counter-protest the Not Fucking Around Coalition. However, Chris Wallace didn't bring up that, bring that up. Uh, I guess it's not relevant, or Chris Wallace just is not aware of what's going on. Um, that said... He asks a partisan question and he interrupts Trump when he tries to answer it. Then, this is also something very interesting. Wallace lets Trump finally answer the question. Trump says, I want to see peace. And Wallace says, Wallace says then do it, sir. Is Wallace in this debate? I'm, did I miss something? Is Wallace a part of the debate? Is Wallace on Biden's side? 
it would seem that during a during a debate, a moderator shouldn't be uh, calling for action from the individuals who are participating in the in the debate. Uh, it it seems very partisan for him to say, "Then do it." That's not his place. His place is to allow the participants to speak and to explain their message. Right. That's that's the job of a moderator is to keep things civil and allow everybody to state their opinion. That's not what Wallace does. Wallace kind of teams up on Trump with Biden because then we see Biden says, Biden says, do it, say it. Trump says, what do you want me to call them? Give me a name. Wallace says, white supremacists and right-wing militias. First of all, why just the right-wing militias? Why not the left-wing militias too? Why not the individuals who are also going around actually causing violence? I understand that we don't want a bunch of militias walking around the streets. I get it, right? We don't want a bunch of people patrolling the streets with no code of conduct, no accountability. That's why we have the police. Um, that's why we have the police is because we don't want militias out on the street. That said, um, he only, he specifically calls out right-wing militias. It should be all militias. If we're going to call out militias, we need to be calling out all militias, not just the ones on the right, but also the ones on the left. Wallace doesn't do that. He specifically says right-wing militias. Biden chimes in and he says, proud boys. Like I said before, the FBI does have a watch out on the proud boys. Now, is it a white supremacist organization? That's not very clear. Um, is it an extremist organization? That is also not very clear. You would have to do quite a bit of digging to prove that the Proud Boys are an extremist group. I've personally been to protests where Antifa is present and the Proud Boys are present. I watched everything that happened. I was paying very close attention. The individuals who were members of Antifa were very vulgar, were very aggressive. And as a matter of fact, they actually um, kind of like dive bombed a reporter who was trying to conduct an interview with the Proud Boys because they didn't want the Proud Boys on camera. So basically an Antifa individual saw that a Proud Boy was being interviewed by the local press. That, individ that, that Antifa individual proceeded to cross over the protest line from count from the protesters to the counter protester side. And basically, I think he was trying to attack the camera, take down the camera. It was really unclear because the police were on it like that. Good job, Pueblo PD. But that said, I watched the whole thing happen. I, I was at the protest. The Proud Boys stood back for a large majority of the time. In fact, it was the Proud Boys at the protest who requested that the counter protesters leave so that the police could handle the protest without having to deal with two sides going at it. That was my experience in a situation with Proud Boys. The Proud Boys stood back and did not do anything. In fact, they were not visibly armed. The Antifa individuals arrived with AK-15s, uh, or I'm sorry, AR-15s, uh, visible, open carrying. They arrived in helmets and all black gear so that they couldn't be identified. Whereas the Proud Boys were more than willing to show their face. They actually wore shirts that said Proud Boy on it. They were not trying to conceal their identity and they were not uh, antagonizing the people who were on the other side of the tape. So I find it very strange 
at least in my personal experience being on site with both organizations, that the Proud Boys are receiving so much flack for being a white supremacist, right-wing extremist organization when it is not the Proud Boys who are storming cities and burning down buildings and um, harassing diners at restaurants to push their social justice agenda. It's not the Proud Boys who are doing that. It's Antifa and Black Lives Matter. But for some reason, the media refuses to condemn the left. Instead, they they perpetuate this idea that it's the right-wing groups that are showing up to attack people. Now, I'm just saying what I'm, what I'm seeing here in Colorado, right? There's other places all over the country that have seen peaceful protests where armed right-wing groups do show up. That does happen. But you want to know what happens when you have extremist left-wing groups demanding policy change based on riots and turnout at protests as opposed to a judicial democratic vote and system and, uh, you know, civil way of demanding change. You want to know what happens when you have extremist groups allowed to shut down cities and protest unchecked? Not protest. Protest is fine. But what is going on, we all know, is not protesting. We all have seen the videos. We've all seen the roads get shut down. We've all seen... Uh, diners be harassed. And while that is technically peaceful because nobody's getting hurt, what it is doing is infringing on society, infringing on unaffiliated individuals, on their ability to go about their lives. Now, the left would say that's the point. We know that you guys are comfortable and that you guys don't care if you aren't made uncomfortable. So we're going to infringe on your roads. We're going to infringe on your dining and we're going to make sure you know that we're here. Just because you're not hurting somebody doesn't mean that you're being peaceful. Just because you're not hitting somebody in the face or burning down their building doesn't mean that you are getting your message across in a peaceful manner. Now, this is not to be confused with the idea of safe spaces and hate speech. You have a right to say what you want as long as you're not threatening you know, to kill the president of the United States. You can't do that. Um, but we do have the right to freedom of speech in this country and you can speak and make your message heard. Uh, lawful assemblies does not include shutting down roads. Lawful assemblies do not include invading the private businesses of a restaurant and basically overthrowing the, the calm setting of a dining experience by coming in and throwing people's tables over or sitting at their table. Is that peaceful? Is that peaceful? Is that what... Uh, the civil rights movement, which was a successful movement. Is that what they did? Is that what Gandhi did when he achieved independence from the United, United Kingdom for India? No, that's not what happened. Um, that's not what they did. And I understand that to an extent, you have to inconvenience people to get your message across. That said, you can't think that your movement is peaceful just because you're not killing people. That's not, that's not right. That's a very confusing message. Um, now that said, the Proud Boys are not the ones who are going into cities. They're not the ones who are burning down buildings. They are not the ones who are burning down bus stops like we saw in New York. They, you know, they kind of just show up. And every once in a while, they get into a fight with somebody. And every once in a while, they do beat somebody up unnecessarily. I do not condone violence. I do not think it's right for the Proud Boys to show up in Portland and beat up a journalist, regardless of the situation.
I don't think that it's right for the Proud Boys uh, to spew racist rhetoric. I personally have never heard them spew racist rhetoric, but it's not right if that's what they are doing. That said, is that not what Black Lives Matter is doing? Is Black Lives Matter not spewing somewhat racist rhetoric against people who are of lighter skin colors? I don't know. It would seem, based on a lot of the footage that I've seen by Black Lives Matter individuals, that they do hate white people, that they do hate the America, the United States of America based on white colonialism. Not colonialism, but white colonialism. So, very interesting that the Proud Boys have gotten so much flack for uh, kind of just existing and showing up from time to time. Um, now, this is the next part of the statement that Trump made that everybody is absolutely freaking out about. And I would like to point out something that uh, showed up on Twitter today that I find very concerning. Um, so the next part of the statement is the part that all the media outlets are airing right now. And everybody loves it because they're saying Trump is encouraging white supremacy and he's encouraging white militias. Trump said, proud boys, stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. All right, so people don't like this statement. People are saying that this is a call to action, essentially, even though he did say, stand by, stand back. Um, stand back means stand back, don't get involved, right? That's what stand back means. Stand by means wait for orders, kind of, right? That's kind of what it means, wait for orders. Now, people don't like that. People don't like that the President of the United States told the Proud Boys to stand by. And it seems that the Proud Boys were kind of excited about that because they not only got mentioned by, you know, the President during a debate, but, <sighs> but that said, stand by can be viewed as a threat. It can be viewed as wait until you're called on. Now, why would he say that? Could it have anything to do with the fact that Portland hasn't, after 100 days, dealt with the unrest and destruction of their city? What do the residents of Portland feel like? Do the residents of Portland think that they should just allow this group to take over? Should um, Seattle, who saw that Chaz Autonomous Zone, the Proud Boys didn't show. I mean, the Proud Boys actually did show up. They were there. Uh, I believe Tiny is one of the individuals who is a Proud Boy member. Uh, actually, he's not white, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, the Proud Boys, they showed up in Seattle. They didn't kill anybody. Um, you know who did? Black Lives Matter and Antifa. They killed a few people, as a matter of fact, and a few of them were minors. It was a really, really sad situation um, in which I believe a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old, I could have their ages wrong, but they were definitely minors, uh, went on a joyride through the Seattle Chaz, and the so-called security of the area killed them in cold blood, shot them to death, shot them to death. While, and when they tried to escape, Guess why they couldn't get to the road, get get to the main road to get to the hospital? Oh, because they set up barriers. The the Chaz people had set up barriers, and it was unclear how you could escape the barricaded Chaz zone. So no, it's actually not the Proud Boys who are killing people, and it's not the Proud Boys who are utilizing extremist rhetoric to justify their actions. That would be Antifa. Now let's talk about what Biden said about Antifa. 
Joe Biden last night on the debate said that Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Let me tell you something. Antifa is certainly a decentralized organization. Andy No has done a fantastic job of documenting the fact that Rose City Antifa is very much an organized group. Decentralized, but organized. It is an organized group. They have communication systems. They have ways of expressing uh, tactical information to one another. They have uniforms, the whole black outfit with the helmet. They have a flag. Do, I'm sorry, do organizations, do they typically have flags if they don't exist, if they're just an idea? Like, I don't know, do I make an idea and then I'm like, I'm gonna make a flag for my idea. Do flags and ideas coincide or is that like a thing for organizations and countries? Because the last time I checked, only countries and organizations have flags. Um, Antifa has been seen overseas, as a matter of fact. In Colorado, there is an individual named Michael Windecker who was actually a Pershmerga soldier who went overseas to fight ISIS and joined the Pershmerga military, basically, as a volunteer to help fight ISIS. That guy is now in Colorado where he is attempting to abolish the police where he has sided with Denver Antifa and he put out a YouTube video just recently saying that he uh, he was addressing claims that he was a pedophile. And he basically said, you know, he's here to help with the anti-fascists. He's here to help abolish the police. And he this is a guy who went to fight ISIS who now claims to be basically um, siding with Antifa. And he's not the only one. There's many, many photos online. If you look for them, you can find them. They, that of, of Antifa flags overseas in the Middle East, the same flag that's being used here in the United States. That is a telltale sign of an organization. That is a telltale sign that this is not just an idea that people float around and they hold in their heads. I saw somebody today on Facebook who said that Antifa is actually just like some punk rock culture of people who want to beat up Nazis. And uh, it's really not some sort of organized crime ring or anything like that. Um, is that how we feel about MS-13? That because we don't see them on the daily basis that they're not really an organization? Uh, is it just because like, you know, do gangs typically um, announce that they're an organization, like if they're trying to stay undercover and run drugs. Do organized sex trafficking rings typically, um, do they, do they like, like to let you know where their organization is headquartered and what the, the command structure looks like? No. Let's not be stupid here, people. Let's not be ignorant and willfully blind. We need to accept that we do have a very serious domestic terror organization called Antifa running on our streets unchecked. And the fact that Joe Biden said that they are not an organization, that they are just an idea, that, in my opinion, removes his credibility as a presidential candidate. If a presidential candidate cannot look out on the streets and see what's going on and say that we have a serious organization who decentralized, who decentralized is making decisions based on a common goal, on a common ideology, and partnering with other groups, that that individual does not have any place running for president of the United States, in my opinion, right? And I'm biased, and I gave you guys my bias at the beginning of this video. So, very interesting, um, very interesting little debate. I am going to play the actual piece 
now that I have explained everything that I wanted to explain, I want you guys to listen to it yourself and hear what he said so that you guys can get a feel of what was said, why they said it, and, and the dynamic of that conversation. So I'm going to play this and then I'll end the video. Uh, all right, here we go. You have repeatedly we criticized the, the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist right. groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups yeah. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right like me to condemn? White supremacists and right proud boys. boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right his wing own, problem. This is, this is a left wing. This is a left wing White supremacist. Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not malicious. That's what oh, his no, FBI. His okay. FBI director Gentlemen, said. Well, then, you know what? No, no, that we're, done, we're done, sir. Everybody, we're moving on to the next. We're moving on to the next. That's not an idea. Everybody Antifa in your administration tells you the truth is a, is a bad idea. Can I tell you what? You have no idea. Antifa is a dangerous radical. All right, radical gentlemen, group. we're now moving on to the Trump and, and Biden records. Them. They'll overthrow you. When a president, I'm going to ask a question. When the president seeks a. So there it is, guys. You guys just heard it. Man, what a interesting statement that Joe Biden made. Um, you know, Donald Trump, he wanted a specific organization. He didn't want to blanket, say, all white supremacists, all white nationalists. He wanted a specific organization to condemn. I think that's why he just made the KKK, um, a, you know, a domestic terror organization is we can't just say we condemn all white supremacists because what is happening right now is everybody who opposes certain movements is being called a white supremacist and a Nazi. I've seen it myself at protests where individuals holding an American flag are called white supremacists. Okay, so we can't just blanket, we can't just lay the blanket down on everybody as a white supremacist. We need to call out specific organizations that are participating in white supremacist activities, specific organizations that are causing issues based on the ideal ideology of white supremacy. So the KKK, white supremacist organization, Adam Wappen in Colorado, definitely white supremacist Nazi organization. The reason I add Nazis is because they actually do have Nazis, Nazism as like a, a base philosophy. Um, there are differences between just being a white supremacist and being a white supremacist and a Nazi. There's, there's a difference, okay? Um, that said, Trump was like, what organization do you want me to call out? What organization? Biden says Proud Boys. So Trump says Proud Boys stand, stand back and stand by, right? Now, like I said before, there's really not been a tremendous amount of violence from the Proud Boys. And I think that that says a lot about the movement. If it was really an organization that was out to cause harm, would we not see assassinations? Would we not see violence in the streets? Would we not see um, actual skirmishes between the right and the left? I think we would. And the fact that Biden refuses to even acknowledge that Antifa is an organization, that Antifa is 
not just some loosely defined idea. Uh, that goes to show that that he is not taking this seriously, that the left is not taking this seriously. The Democrat Party, at the beginning of the debate, Joe Biden says, I am the Democrat Party. So if Joe Biden is the Democrat Party and he says Antifa is not an organization, does that mean that the Democrat Party doesn't feel that Antifa is an organization? Who then, may I ask, is burning down Portland? Who then, may I ask, is rioting in Rochester, New York? Who uh, took that, I, I don't have a picture on me, but there is a picture of Antifa Rochester who they graffitied up, a, I don't know what monument it is, it is a statue and a monument. They graffitied the monument and the statue and then posed for the photo. Is that not an organization? Did did they all just kind of have an idea to go and destroy this uh, statue and monument and set fire to it and then take a picture? Do do ideas do that? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think ideas just do that. So um, very disappointing performance from Joe Biden. I am much less concerned about the Proud Boys than I am about Antifa. And I've seen a lot of people in California who are, uh, you know, I, the thing about California is they, oh, I swear to you, they only get one side of the news. I swear. Like, I mean, I, that obviously is an opinion. I don't know that that's true. Of course they have Fox news there. And of course they have access to balanced information. That said, there's this very strange ideology in California. I'm from California. I was born and raised there and I lived there until I was 20 and then I got the hell out because it just didn't feel right to me. And even when I go back, I don't enjoy it. Like I went, I got married in California because like most of my family is out there. And when I left the state after the wedding, I was like, thank God, because there's just something about that state. It feels manufactured. It doesn't feel like, like, people there are actually real with you. It doesn't feel like, um, it feels like some sort of utopian, like daydream almost where it's like, Oh, the weather's so beautiful. And we have the beach and we have like, um, great high end stores and so much different, so many different types of food. And we have all these types of, all these entertainment, uh, options. But at the same time, um, you have one of the worst debt to income, uh, I don't want, not debt to income ratios, but income inequality examples in California. Look at San Francisco. You can have um, a very nice neighborhood in San Francisco followed by a slum, a drug slum. Uh, I highly recommend if you guys are interested in what's going on in San Francisco to follow the Daily Tenderloin with Dee Dee LaFranc. It's a great short podcast where Dee Dee uh, talks about what is going on in San Francisco. And she does, it's usually like a daily podcast, but Dee Dee LaFrank is a fantastic person to listen to. She's a great, great um, individual who's non-biased to explain what really is going on in San Francisco. She also has a Twitter account. I don't know the name of the Twitter account, but if you look up the Daily Tenderloin, Dee Dee LaFrank, it will come up. Um, so California has these drug slums and a huge homeless population right next to some of the nicest, most expensive properties in the country. How does this happen? And it, it has to be a result of their horrible politics there. I mean, everything is just like, it is a very, um, 
it almost reminds me of like I don't want to say that it reminds me of China because China the CCP is a horrible disaster but the the dynamic there is very interesting because it reminds me of the very rich and the very rich individuals who are able to take advantage of the system being well off and individuals who are unable to make it being kind of left by the wayside, which is really interesting because California has this huge welfare system, right? Like they have the welfare system and uh, they want to perpetuate that on all these other states. And yet it doesn't seem to be working for them. Why is that? Why does it not work in California? Uh, interesting question to ask. But that said, I'm going off topic and the whole point of this video is the debate. So that said, I'm going to end it here. I don't know how long this was, but if you guys made it all the way to the end, thank you for watching. I will be doing another episode probably today. Maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow. We'll see. Um, thank you all for watching. If you want to read my investigative journalism, please go to thenomanszone.com. I do cover the culture war there and I do cover... Uh, the things that people really don't want to dig into. I have a little bit of Jeffrey Epstein uh, stuff going on there because I think that's important to dig into what was going on with him. I feel like there was some sort of uh, organized corruption involved in his whole scheme. And I'd, I'd really like to uncover that, which is what I'm doing slowly but surely. But primarily I like to cover the culture war and look into things that people don't want to look into. Um, so yeah, I will be doing a show every day just covering things that happen in the news. Um, I don't recommend that you just watch the show. Maybe consider looking at, um, you know, this show and Tim Pool or this show and Dave Rubin or The Hill. They do some pretty good unbiased, um, balanced media reporting. But that said, thank you all for watching. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to leave them in the comments. I do respond. Um, if you want to support this channel, please consider donating like a $5 coffee. I'm a coffee drinker. I drink a lot of coffee. Um, also, the best way that you can share it, uh, the best way that you can support me is to share this channel. So thank you guys for watching. Have a good day. Bye.